Yeah, go ahead and open 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all, all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Hey, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and, and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Thank you, Nate. Uh, thank you, Lonnie. And uh, if you've been here for a while, we looked slowly uh, at all of 1 Timothy, and we read the last few lines, and uh, the series does end next Sunday. Uh, Luis Palau will be here, who, if you've never met him, he's in, uh, 84 years old. He's followed Jesus since he was a young boy, and he has terminal cancer. And um, I think this may, if God extends his life, it may not be the last time, but this is probably the last time he's going to be able to share with us as a community. And so we're reading a letter in the Bible that has wisdom for us, and then we're ending it with a living letter, a, a real legend in that what it means to follow Jesus in the good and bad times. And so don't miss out on that at all. Well, we've looked at um, all of it, and now when we end, we're going to do part two of a conversation on money. How many of you were here uh, last Sunday and we were talking about money? Oh, great, and two weeks in a row. Well done. Whenever you talk about money in church, you wonder, like, are people going to come back? Well, you're foolish enough to. Anyway, no, just kidding, just kidding. Well, um, we looked at two questions last week that are going to drive our discussion today. Two questions that uh, Paul writes to Timothy about, and we're going to focus on just a couple of lines from what we heard that will guide us as we think about what we do with the money God's given us. Here they are. One, what does money do to us? Money does something to you. It, uh, it changes you. And sometimes for the good and sometimes for the not so good. What does money do to us? And then the second question is what are we to do with God's money? And I'm, I'm making a real bold assumption here. If you do not follow the way of Jesus, when you look at your stuff, you see it as your stuff. If you follow the way of Jesus, you're going to very quickly discover the stuff did not come from you, it's not yours, and you're leaving it all behind. All of it comes from God. Every good gift comes from above, from the Father of heavenly lights, in whom there's no shifting of shadows. God doesn't change, and he gives stuff to his sons and daughters to use. 
He gives stuff to everyone. Some just don't recognize his leading in it. Well, we looked at two things that money does to us last week. We're going to build on it today. Number one, money's a motivator. Money motivates you. You don't have it, you get motivated. It's better with it. And those of you saying, oh, no, money's not that great, they don't know what they're talking about. Money is amazing. Money's absolutely, I mean, Okay, we're in church, evidently, so everyone's hyper-spiritual here. Money is pretty incredible, and you could do a ton with it. Don't kid yourself, but it's a rule. It's a root. The love of money is a root, and when you're living for money, it's not the ideal motivation. As a matter of fact, Jesus' followers were never called to be primarily motivated by money. While it's helpful, it shouldn't be your God. Why? The second thing we learned last week is money is temporary, you get it and it's gone. Don't you feel like the moment you get paid, you're in trouble because you don't have enough? <laughs> you're like, I need, I, need, I need more of it. It's temporary. We brought nothing in. We take nothing out. As a matter of fact, verse 7, if you look back a few verses, said we brought nothing into the world. We can't take anything out of it. If we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. You were born without money. And when you die, all that money that you thought was yours stays. Now, hopefully we're wise and you do something with it so that it is an extension of like care and love and good to those who stay behind. But you don't get to keep it and you don't use it once you're gone. So this is a huge matter that we don't talk about enough. Today, uh, last week was what money does to us. This week, what are we to do with God's money? We're going to read and focus on verses 17 to 20 because Paul ends the letter by addressing the rich in the church. And as a disclaimer, he's talking to you. You and I are the rich, whether we feel like it or not. So we're going to read it together. Let's put it up on the screen. And I want us to say these words out loud. Sometimes when you say something, it just begins to make sense. Ready? One, two, three. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. I want you to think about that last line, guard. Guard what's been entrusted. The whole letter has been from an older, more experienced Jesus follower to a younger one. And he says, guard what's been entrusted to your care. I'm here to remind you of what you already know. There are things that you have that you've been entrusted with. God has given you an education. God has given you resources, skills, abilities, passions. He's given you all these things. And now the letter ends with, Guard it. It's important. So this discussion goes beyond paychecks and cash. It's about being responsible and answering the question, what are we to do with God's life or God's money, God's time? Everything we have comes from God. Now, these are commands. He gives two commands in here. They're not suggestions. The Bible does suggest a lot of things. It talks about wisdom. There's lots of choices and choose the better path. But there are real commands. Do not murder. Good command. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. Don't covet. There are real things that will be destructive. Now, every command in the Bible is based on a promise. So what we're going to do, two, commands about money to the rich. That's you and me. 
that are based on promises. They're not based on God being mean and trying to steal your joy. They're based on God being good. And he wants you to have life that is truly life. How many know there are people who are living today who are not really living? They're existing, you know, moving, doing stuff. But inside, they're a mess. And that may be you, full of turmoil and grief and sorrow. And I don't know what the meaning of life is. If you know Jesus, that he's calling us to live in a certain way that brings the greatest life possible. I didn't say the most wealthy life or the most extravagant life, but the best life. If you want that kind of living, two commands, and they're based on promises. Number one, write it down. First command is trust God. The command, this is funny. We have to be told, trust God. Why? We don't. We just don't. Human default, human nature is to trust in what I see. Have you seen God? No. And if I don't see him, it's hard to trust him. Have you seen Jesus? No. So the command to us, look, don't trust your wealth. Trust God, verse 17. Command those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. Rich in this present age. Who is he talking to? In their church, there were landowners, business owners, um, wealthy people. And just like in our church, there's a spectrum. There were those who were slaves in their day, who had no resources, who were mouth-to-mouth, meal-to-meal. And so he says to a certain community, you should learn to not trust in your wealth. Are you the rich? Let me just state the obvious. Half of the world right now, half of the world lives on less than $2.50 a day. Did you spend two fifty yesterday? Yes, you did. You spent more on one drink, okay? Let's not kid ourselves. Two fifty a day, you and I are the rich. Do you know 1.3 billion live on less than $1 a day? At the same time, the average American spends $101 a day. We spend, on average, $100 more than 1.3 billion people in the world every single day. And they say, but Jose, I don't feel very rich because my bills are so big. We have the privilege that most of the world does not enjoy. It doesn't mean you're loaded and have you know, too much money, you don't know what to do with it. But it does mean we live in a world where there are lots of resources. So what should guide us? If we have all of this access and God's blessed us to live here, what do you do with your riches? Now, we could come up with all sorts of lists of things you're supposed to do. But rather than that, Paul leaves us with a question. And based on these verses, I want to rephrase something in a question that should drive Every financial decision, whether you're in college and ramen is your best friend and you got loans and you don't know what to do, or you've made it in your career, you're towards the end, and God's given you the ability to like stash some extra resources aside, or for most of us, we're just in the middle. You know, maybe not exactly paycheck to paycheck, but we're not like so loaded that we could just take three months off. Ask yourself when making financial decisions this question. Is this decision driven by trust in God or by pride? This would be super healthy. If you love and follow Jesus, when you're thinking about what you're going to do, ask the internal question, why am I doing this? Why am I buying this? Why am I experiencing this? Why am I sacrificing for this? Why am I going into debt for this? What's driving me? Is it trust Am I trusting that God's led me to do this? I'm trusting that he's asking me to do this? Or am I making these decisions based on pride? Uh, Those who are rich, don't put your trust in wealth. Rather, 
Trust and put your hope in God who's given us all these things that we can enjoy. I'll use one example, just one, and you could use it for anything, uh, whether it's which school to go to or what car to drive. Let's just use housing because most of us are not homeless. Some of us maybe functionally kind of living from couch to couch. Most of us have a place to sleep tonight. What is driving your decision on where you're living, where you're living right now? Why did you pick that place? If you're renting or you're buying, why that neighborhood? Why that specific spot? Is it trust in God? Wow, Lord, you know our needs and this is where you led me? Or is pride the real source? Like why do you have to have that size of a house? Why is that size so important? Why do you need all those amenities? Why do you have to live in that neighborhood? Is it driven by, man, God's been good and gracious and provided. And, you know, like uh, that, if I buy that house, it's in a good neighborhood with good schools for the kids. That's cool. It's going to appreciate. It's going to make me an investment. It's going to return. That, that's cool. Nothing wrong. But what's the driving force? Is it because everybody your age also has something that big? Is it because you need the extra rooms that are rarely ever used? What's driving? See, the, the issue is the heart. And God says to us, his followers, trust me. So should you get the bigger house? Should you get the smaller house? I'm not here to tell you which way. I am here to say, if pride is driving you, if the appearance of looking better or, or feeling better or seeming like you have it all together, if that's what's driving the decisions, then your hope, your trust is not in God who is generous. Remember, all of my money is not my money. I don't have any money. All I have is God's. For the Father of Jesus, all money is God's money. And when I say money, I'm talking about everything, houses, cars, clothes, vacations, all that. Everything I have comes from God. So in essence, I ought to be trusting him because he gives it. And by the way, he takes it away as well. It's his. He has a right to it. So the command, trust God. Now it's based on not like legalism and evil. It's based on a promise. What's the promise? God provides. The command is to trust, but the promise is that God provides. Look, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant but to put their, or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who, prov who richly provides us with everything. And catch this line, for our enjoyment. Now breathe deeply. This has been like, Slightly intense. I see it in your, like, leaning back in the chair at this stage. Calm down. Do not feel bad about your financial position. If, you've do, if you've done really well, if you're doing really well, if you're, if you're making strides, don't feel bad. This is not a guilt trip. God provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, this is something that I've had to learn because I've, I've hit the spectrum. When I, I, my wife and I, we grew up in New York, and we were both middle class, and by middle school, uh, my, my parents were able to scrape up some money and move from an apartment, small apartment in Brooklyn, to a home, which for us, now looking back, was probably 1,200, 1,300 square feet, but it felt like a mansion. And, you know, and a few feet of a backyard. When I say a few, I'm talking like literally a few. But I felt like, wow, we have like a garden. We have this park in our backyard because we had no backyard before. And so I kind of experienced that, and that's a blessing. But then uh, oh, it was in the 80s uh, and 
there was a huge financial downturn in the 80s in the banking industry. My dad was in finance, and he ended up losing his job, as did tens of thousands of people. And living in a big city, it was hard to find a good job. So we're in this house, and then things got tighter and tighter and tighter. And within a few years of underemployment, just simply not making that, you know, good, you know, four kids and a wife and two cats, no dog. They wouldn't let us have one. I'm still bitter. And, and um, I'm not. We have a dog. But, but, but we, we went uh, less and less and less. And then, and then it was to the point there was little to eat and food stamps. And we lived on the generosity of others and ended up losing that house. So we went from middle class to American poor. I say American poor because I started traveling the world after college and I began to see global poverty. My friend, if you've only been in the U.S., then yes, there is poverty. There is need. I'm not making light of it. But when, when entire countries don't have the opportunity like the least of these have in America, you haven't seen it all. And so I, I would go to these other countries and I would come back and feel terrible about what God had given me because I got to take our family out to eat after being gone on a couple of week trip and, and I'd do the math and, and you know, you sign your little debit card for dinner and you realize that one meal for our family of four could have fed a whole family for a month. And I would honestly feel guilty and start to get like, ah, well, here, notice, Paul does not say to the rich, give all your money away. He doesn't say give all of it away. He says, God provides money for your enjoyment, so don't feel bad about what God's given you, but live grateful, contented. If we have food and clothing for today, we should be overjoyed and grateful. Let's not give in to the lie of entitlement that says, because you are from a family or from a place or from a culture, you deserve. Friend, the only thing separating you from living in an area of global po poverty is the grace of God. God has been gracious to, it doesn't mean he's not gracious to others, but he's been gracious to you to give you the ability to live in a land with four to seven dollar drinks. We don't understand how rich we are. We're so wealthy. Now, enjoy it, but don't put your hope in it. You see, don't live for it. If it's got a stranglehold on your life, that's never been God's desire. If all you're thinking about is what it's going to take to get more and get more and get more, and you can't rest contented at night saying, God, you know, there are a few things I would love to have, but I'm just so thankful. When was the last time, rather than stressing about what you don't have, you just sat down and made a list of all the things that you're enjoying, like air? You're breathing. Friend, you're, we're breathing. And so we live in such a discontented society. Here's the challenge with social media, and I'm a fan of social media. Don't hear me wrong. But the problem is I love it because I can keep tabs on people that I don't see day to day. So I love it. Like you went there and you did that. But here's what I find. The more I'm on it, the more I realize, man, I don't have that. And wow, they didn't invite me there. And, and like I wish I could. And if we're not careful, something that could be enjoyable and helpful and connecting and good can lead us to discontentment. And so to the rich, us, don't trust in riches. Rest on the promise of God. God provides. Now, the second command is sort of like it. Look at verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they're going to lay up treasure for themselves 
as a firm foundation, underline this, for the coming age. I'll get to that. So that they may take hold of the life that's, uh, the life that's truly life. Second command is sort of like the first one. First, put your hope in God. Trust God. Secondly, be generous. It's as clear as that. The goal of the Jesus follower is to grow in trust. God wants us to trust him for everything. And to be generous. So Paul tells Timothy, remind the rich, in Greek, it doesn't translate exactly in English. But he says, let the rich be rich. Let the American be American. Let the, let the affluent be affluent. He's play on words. That's what you are in society. And that's what we are. We are the global rich. Okay. Be that in generosity. So the question should never be, what can I do with my money? The question that we should be asking as Jesus followers is, what should I do with God's money? That leads to everything. Now, I'm not talking about where should you give the portion that God wants you to be generous with. I'm saying God doesn't own your 5% of generosity or your 10 or your 15 or 20. He owns 100%. 100% of everything you have. Your time this week, if you get the next seven days, that belongs to God. It belongs to God. Your brain belongs to God. Your ability to produce, your creativity, all the things that make you you, those things belong to God. Your prayer life belongs to God. Be generous in money. Be generous in time. Do we make time for other people? Do we even care about the people around us? To the rich, us. By the way, we make choices based on what we want to do. Most of the world is living to feed their family tonight. So it's funny, when I talk to my brothers and sisters around the world about what are you doing six months from now? What are you going to do this year? How hey, do you have any plans for this year? You almost get a little bit of the stare because there isn't always the margin to even think about three months from now. I want to pay my child's school fees today. We have the luxury to think long term. Now this, again, don't hear this as a guilt trip. God graciously had gifted this to you. But are you being generous? So Paul's writing to a real church. In this real church in Ephesus, there were rich and there were poor. There were those who were landowners. There were slaves who were subject to their masters. And here's what God did and here's what God does. God provided a solution to everyone's need through the local church. Everyone's need. Not one of them in the church in Ephesus should be needy. Why? God has generously given various amounts to people. And now he's saying to the rich, be generous, a.k.a. Your brothers and sisters in your church have need, and they are your brothers and sisters. So we saw earlier a couple of weeks ago that if a person doesn't take care of their family, something's wrong with their faith. Something's wrong with our faith. If we don't give a rip about mom and dad and other people in our family, and we belong to Jesus... That's wrong. God's graciously given you a family. And he implies you also have a biological family or an adoptive family and a friendship family and a church family. So the principles don't apply just to physical mom and dad or whomever is in your sphere of relationships. It belongs to the people in this church. We don't see it that way because we've gotten disconnected. But church ought to be the place where everyone comes to worship God and when we see that there's need, we step in and we help one another. 
and that may seem that may seem so countercultural to you. Well, I don't understand why I should. Shouldn't they just take care of themselves? Because I'm taking care of myself. Whoa. I thought God was the one who graciously was taking care of you. Again, what I'm talking about is a fundamental mind shift change. Not a list of rules and regulations, not a bunch of do's and don'ts, but a mindset about money that is impacted by the good news of Jesus and impacted by the model of Jesus himself. By the way, Jesus had access to every resources uh, under the sun. He said, you know, when, when people say, well, you're going to go and die? Wait a minute, wait. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. They don't take my life. No, one's, no, one, no one took Jesus' life. He laid it down. He, I, I commanded a thousand angels to wipe everybody out right now. But I'm doing what I'm doing because I know why I'm here. Jesus knew his mission. And his mission was to give himself as a ransom for many. So when there are people who wanted to stop Jesus, like, hey, Jesus, why are you stopping talking to this person? Because we have people to go see in the other town. He would say, stop, let the little kids come to me, right? Jesus was generous with his time. When anyone wanted Jesus' attention, what did he do? He stopped. Are we growing in generosity in the way that we live our lives? Or are we so hyper-scheduled and busy, we have no care and concern for the people that God's brought into our world. Now, this is convicting. That's healthy. If you're hearing this as condemning, then please watch the podcast, you know, and listen again. Because I'm not saying you have to. I'm saying because of Jesus, you and I get to live generously with the financial resources, the time resources. You may have skills that other people in this community need Guess what? God's given that, that to you so you can liberally help them. I'm talking about professional skills, uh, practical skills. It's not just bank account. It's all of life. You know, I'm, I'm convinced of this. Generosity is simply God's solution to greed. God has put us in a position to be generous and has commanded us to live generously. Why? He knows where we're bent. We're bent to consume we're bent to hold on. So he commands us and calls us, you love me? Do you trust me? Great. Live generously. And by the way, the Proverbs say, those who refresh others will be likewise refreshed. It's in giving my life away that I receive it. You want to lose your life? Hold on to what Jesus says. You want to experience the life that's fully life? Give your life away. So it's more than assets. Don't hear me. And by the way, we're not on a fundraising campaign. So this is not a pitch for you to give more of your money to this church. It's an opportunity to grow up and live like Jesus. So at the end of the day, Jesus dies thoroughly rich in the will of God. He gives his life as a ransom for many, but with absolutely no assets. <laughs> it's crazy. Our system is saying, end the game with the most amount accumulated. And our master found, he had all the resources, and he found people to give and share with. And so he lives the best life. Am I saying you should die with nothing? I didn't say that. I'm saying you and I should follow Jesus, who knows the best way to live. So the command, be generous, but it's based on the promise. And then don't miss this. The reason we're generous is not, it's not a guilt trip. It's because God gives eternal life. Notice what he said in this way, verse 19. 
They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. The Bible defines two marks in time, two different periods of time. And when we read the Bible, we need to understand what it's talking about. It talks about this present age. You are living, it's 2019, it's January. That's this present age. From the beginning of the creation of the world till Jesus returns is this present age. But all throughout, God has said all throughout Scripture, this isn't the all of life. This is part of life. There is the age or the time to come. God made this world perfect because of sin. We have destroyed it. We've made a mess of it. God steps in in the person of Jesus to rescue us from our sin, forgive us, care for us, love us. And when we come to him, he gives us eternal life, right? That's a gift. What's eternal life? It's life with God now and forever. So that in the age to come, you may live to 60, 70, 80, 100, 130, anyone? I don't know what you're going to get. But I know that at the end of it, you're going to go. And you're going to step into God's future. And someday, Paul reminds them of the teaching of Jesus. Jesus said, and I'm going to read it in a few moments, there will be a coming day when God's going to separate those who follow him from those who don't. And those who follow him are going to enjoy God forever with great reward. And so the, the reason to be generous is God promised your future is taken care of. What if I told you where you're going to be 20 years from now and what you're going to need? If I, if, I, if I was able to tell the future, 20 years from now, you're going to live here. You're going to be doing this. And so get yourself ready because in 20 years, I need, I need you to know you're going to be here and you're going to need that. How would you live would you live any differently if you knew the future? I would think most of us would say, oh, wow, in light of what now I know, I should like take steps to prepare myself. And this is what God says. I know your future. You're going to live with me forever, and I have abundant resources. Your future's covered. Why are you so stressed out? Like, why are you freaked out? I'm generous. I give generously and in light of your future where you're going to enjoy God forever, why would I ever be stingy now? You and I are going to enjoy God's gift forever. Why would I hoard God's resources? You know, it's like the kid who's about to get a massive inheritance. Like mom and dad are stupid rich, about to get a huge inheritance. And he's like just holding on to the little box of Cheerios like he's going to starve, Right? Mom and dad have everything under the sun, all this, and all that in a few years when he grows up is his. But just hold on this box of cherries or whatever, Fruit Loops or granola, whatever you do. Like, you know, he's holding on it as if, like, I got to hold on it. I got to hold on it. I got to hold on it. Forgetting that, whoa, wait a minute. Parents have everything. And I think if we're not careful, hear me, I'm talking to myself. If I'm not careful, I will live stingy. I will hoard. I will stress. I will fight to grab more resources, forgetting God owns everything now. God loves me now. And no matter what my days are here, God's cared for my future. And on this earth, he's not promising you and me that we're going to all live in luxury and have too many homes and too many cars and too many things. He never promises that. But here's what he promised. You want life? Life is in me. And guess what? You know me, you have life. My presence with you wherever you go. And at the end of this life, the super abundant life is yours. And one day 
Jesus' promises will come true. He will come and he will return and he'll make the, the world new. It will be like it was in Genesis on steroids. Bad, it, yeah, that breaks down because it's all natural. But God's going to make the whole world new and it's going to be beautiful and sin's going to be gone and you and I are going to have J-O-Bs, jobs. Eternal life, the future, is not you sitting around wasting God's existence. It's God is ruling the universe and he does it with his sons and daughters. And I kid you not, you are going to have a role. I'm going to have a role. And if that's true, why would I waste God's resources now? What I'm doing now is preparing me to live in God's future in God's future, there'll be no lack. I will be generous. Why would I not live generous now? Now, he said, this is based on the teaching of Jesus. Yeah, I, I'm, I didn't make this up. It's Matthew 25. Let's just read it together. It'll be up on the screens. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, Jesus is speaking about the future. He will sit on his glorious throne. That's Jesus ruling. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he's going to put the sheep on his right. And he's going to put the goats on his left. There will be a separation at the end of time. If you don't, if you don't catch that, you'll never live compelled to follow Jesus now and, and tell people about him. There will be a day where people will be, not be able to make any more choice because the choices will be done. And you're either following Jesus or you're not. And he's going to separate, not out of meanness, but out of love. In his perfect world are going to go his people, not that were perfect, but that followed him and trusted him. So why wouldn't I trust him now? And when he does that, this is what we're going to say. The king is going to say to those on the right, come. You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. We're going to enjoy God forever. That's your future. That's God's promise. God's going to do that for you. But notice how my decisions now matter. For I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. Thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes. You clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. And then, whoa, the righteous are going to answer Oh, Lord, when, when do we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see a stranger and invite him in or needing clothes? When do we clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison, as if God could go to jail, and go visit you? And the king's going to reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus is giving you and I a glimpse in his future. God, his way of doing his work in the world is through his children. You and I are not just to be generous because it's the right hip thing to do. And God, help me, if the only reason for gener generosity is a tax deduction, I'll do, I'll do more because it turns out that the IRS is going to incent me then God help us. Now, that's a beautiful thing. Make the most of the tax code legally. I'm all for that, right? Leverage your giving. Maximize your giving. And there are some ways to give financially that can multiply your giving. Now, we, we're blessed to live in a country that does that and has that. But primarily, we do it for God because God says, when you did it for someone, you weren't just doing it for them. When you see someone in need in this Local church, and you out of love 
And almost anonymity, because the best is don't let one hand know what the other is doing. That doesn't mean you live in ignorance. It means you don't boast. When you just find a way to meet that need without trying to get the credit for you, God says, you didn't do it for them. You did it for me. And you did it for me because you were God's agent of blessing in this world. So we trust God, but we trust that God's going to do this through his kids. And that's why generosity is so important. Let me recap everything I just said, and then we'll, we'll go into hyper-practical mode in the last couple of minutes, because I want you to leave ready to do something about it. Everything belongs to God. That's the bottom line. So some money is for me to enjoy, and some money is for me to save, and some money is for me to spend. And I, I didn't even get into savings, so I don't have time for that. So it's not like just the two options are spend it now or give it away. Some of it is to be reserved for future need or for future need for someone else. But basically, it all belongs to God. So how much do you spend? How much do you save? How much do you give? That's, you should be asking these questions. And it's the beginning of the year. It's a good time to evaluate what happened last year as you get ready to do your taxes. If you have to do taxes this year, you get a snapshot that should propel you to think about this year's giving. By the way, you don't have to be super rich to be generous. You remember Jesus? Everyone's going to the temple, giving their money in the offering, which was public. Everyone could see what everyone's giving. And those who are rich are putting in loads. And Jesus has an eye to the heart. He sees a lady who gives seemingly nothing. Let's call it a penny. And she goes up and drops a penny in it. And Jesus whispers to the disciples, come here, come here, come here. She gave the greatest gift. The others just did it out of their overflow. She gave everything she had. See, God is looking not for your money. It all belongs to him anyway. God's looking for the heart. So the woman that touches the heart of Jesus is a woman who wasn't rich, humanly speaking, but was most rich in the heart. And so what we're asking God to do is to create a culture of generosity and trust in the heart that will show up because she does give her penny. So I'm not talking about being, you know, hypothetically, in my heart, I'm generous. I just don't give anyone anything. But in my heart, and don't judge me by my actions. Judge me by my heart. Where, where the heart is, your actions are always there. And so I don't need to know where your heart is. I can just follow the money trail. And it will tell me where your heart already is. Don't judge me. This is the Bible. All right, a couple of things that you could do no matter what season of life, because when we talk about generosity, here's the challenge. I'm looking at the broad spectrum. Some of you are just like, Jose, I have $50,000 in student loans. I am working minimum wage. I, 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 can't, I can't live generous now. And you have a set of questions you need to ask. Some of you are in the middle of it. I got, I got kids, man, and those kids are costing me everything. And I, I, I get that. The season of life of raising kids, you're, you're just beginning your career. You're in the middle of it. You're not, you're not in charge yet. Others of you are, are towards the end of your journey and like, you know what? God's been faithful. I'm going to suggest this. All of us can ask or live by three simple rules, principles, ideas that can guide whether you feel like you're broke or you're loaded. Do three things. Number one, give regularly. I think the amount is irrelevant. Should I give 10%? Should I give 15? Should I give 3%? I think we're asking the wrong question. Regular generosity is what the Bible is looking, to, looking for. 
And as a matter of fact, when you think about where to give, this may sound um, self-seeking, and it's really not. You should give first to your local church. If you're a Jesus follower, you should give first to your local church. So when you think about your plan for giving, all of us have causes. All of us have great things we love to support. Here is the challenge. You have been put by Jesus in a family. And so when Paul writes to Timothy, he's writing to a real church called Ephesus with real people. And if you never give to your local church, the very place that you're growing through, A, that's weird. B, it would be like your kids, if you're a parent, are hungry at home and you're giving your money away to other people and not feeding your own kids. That would make no sense. We start where God has planted us in your Jesus-extended family. And so, it, it, now, here's, here's a trick. I don't know what anyone gives to, like here. I don't, I don't know what you give, so I could say it freely. I know what I do. I don't know what you do. But I'm saying give to your local church. How can you give? We've started putting it on because we have so many people who are coming who don't know what we do and how we, we do it. Four ways that you can give here. Uh, I think the number one way that it's increasing is through the PushPay app. We use a secure app because it makes it really easy. You can, you can be in worship here and use the app and just give right there. I, I'm, we have a checkbook. I know where it is. I just never see it. Like, what's a check, right? So this is, this is just the easiest way. You can do a check or cash. The reason we pass the, um, the baskets is for the children, why do you pass the baskets? It's so like old school. I want a seven-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, if they're going to go to the classes, see that part of worship is a call to generosity. That's why we do it. Most of you give electronically or through plan giving. But we want a young person who doesn't, if your three-year-old has a debit card, let's talk afterwards. That's just, <laughs> that's just totally strange, okay? Um, you can give online on our website or... Some of you don't realize that you can give through assets. You have stock, you have fixed assets. If you sell them, you pay taxes on it, and then you give off the top. There are cases where it would be better for you to donate the actual asset. Talk to your financial planner about that. There's, a, there's benefit in some cases of you just giving that thing to the church, and when that thing is sold, a, a nonprofit doesn't pay taxes on it. Be wise in your giving. I'm not saying give only to the church but model generosity in the way that cares for people. The way we care for needs here is through your regular giving. So, so give regularly. And by the way, we, we model this as a church as well. We have a church budget, and a lot of the money is towards the needs of our local church, but that's not the only giving we do. 20% off the top goes to a fund called the Share Fund. And through this Share Fund, we're able to plant other local churches, help other local churches, help individuals in need here, help individuals in need in our city. We partner with organizations like Love, Inc. Um, and Shelter at Rinko Station and other uh, like-minded ministries that are caring for people who are in need here. And last year alone, we just did the adding up. We're going to do our financial report in February for you to see. But $340,000 was given last year through you, through planned generosity. It doesn't just happen. If you do not plan, generosity doesn't happen. If you're waiting for the magic moment, when I feel it, I'm going to give. Well, you're never going to feel it, okay? Rarely are you going to feel it. Second one, give sacrificially. 
let the rich be rich in generosity. So there's always, hear me, there's always going to be a temptation. Well, I've got more money. I can do more with it. Oh, yes. God's given you richly so that you would enjoy. Don't feel bad about it. It's okay to take the vacation to buy the car, to buy the house, to buy the clothes, to go out to eat, to, to, to be enjoying God's resources is the reason he gives it. But it doesn't mean we should always spend it. Could it be that God's increasing your ability to gain wealth so that he could increase generosity through you? We just have to factor that in. Now, there's not a rule for that. Here's a, a guideline. Every year, look to grow in generosity. Just grow in generosity. So if that means a total of half of a percent of your income is, is to generosity this year, great. Next year, try to get to 1%. It's not about the amount. It's about growing in grace. It's about living like Jesus so that we could say at the end of the day, I lived a full life, and here's the full life. All throughout my life, God brought and God brought people, God brought resources, God brought needs. And in the end, God was somehow able to use humble little me to do something for many other people. And I tell you, generosity is addictive. When you start to see God do stuff in people's lives, it's not about the money. When you see him produce something in a person and you realize, God, you used me as a part of it, you want to do more and some of the most generous people that I know who are in this church, you know what motivates them? You. They see God doing something in your life and they get giddy. Like, wow, God was generous enough to me to be able to see you experience life in Jesus. Finally, number three, give cheerfully. Do not give because I am telling you to give. Please. Don't give because you feel forced or like, oh, this was the talk about money, no, give because you recognize God is trustworthy and God gives and God has promises and God's planned my future and God's caring for today and that's the reason. God loves a cheerful giver. He's not impressed when we grudgingly do something so that other people will think that we're better than we really are. He's unimpressed. And so let it be a growing thing where we're just out of an overflow of God's goodness. I want to be more generous. Those aren't, those aren't laws, but I think that could guide everyone. So let's end with a question. What does growth and generosity look like for us this year? What does it look like for you? As a church, we've lived by an 80-20 rule from day one. 20% has for seven years. Now, most churches are not able to start that. We just did it by faith. God, we're going to live on 80. And, and some of the years, it's been 25% going to others. And so that, that's just the heart thing. It's like, we could always hire another staff person, do another thing, buy another thing. You can always use it on you. But we're just trying as a church grow. And like, God, you put us in an affluent part of America. You put us in an affluent part of the city of Portland. As people grow in generosity to you, we want to be thinking, we have lists of things we already want to see happen in Jesus' name that, that don't directly benefit us. And that's the greatest thing because God made us rich. We want to enrich the lives of others. Can we live like that? Let's grow. Now, this is going to take the Holy Spirit. If at this point you're like, man, I don't even, I don't even know if I can move in this direction. You don't have to. Here's where you start. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I want to live more like Jesus. <laughs> That's a trick. 
Because if you ask the Spirit of God to produce Jesus in you, your life will naturally bend towards generosity. So as we worship Jesus, let's invite the Holy Spirit. What is it that I need to do now to create margin to live like Jesus, which is generous, right? Why don't you stand on your feet and let's invite God to give us specifics. For some of you, you need God to speak to you about specifics and that's totally cool. This is our opportunity. If something touched you this morning uh, that was said or just you came in and you need prayer for anything, when we respond, we respond through singing. In a little bit, you'll be sent to the table to eat the bread and drink the cup. And we have a prayer room where people right now are in a room wanting to pray with you about anything. So if you're sick in body, if you're just troubled in mind, if you've had a rough week, if you need direction, if you've not yet started to follow Jesus and want to know what that means, any of those or other reasons, when the singing begins, just slip out. You go out the side door to your right, and you're going to see a sign at the end of the hallway. It says prayer room. And go in. There'll be some friends there, couches and chairs to sit, listen, and pray with you. Lord, we confess that we're not exactly like Jesus in ways that we want to be. But Holy Spirit, we're asking you now to begin to work in our heart and our mind and our life so that we can grow. And this year would be marked by an other-centeredness that we haven't seen before. God, not for our own sake, not for our own good, although we know we benefit. We really want to be useful, Jesus, in the work that you're doing in the world. And we really care about the people around us, but we don't necessarily know what to do. So Holy Spirit, as we worship the King Jesus, guide us and lead us in specific ways, we pray.